know that this is an emphasis of ours uh, for this year. So my goal today really is just going to be a short message. I'm hoping to just introduce the topic of unity. And I, my goal, too, is I want to help you see us as a worthy pursuit. So I want you to see unity as a good thing. I want you to see the blessings of it. And I want you to see it as something that you want to pursue this year. And so I want you to take steps in order to do that because it isn't just something that happens, okay? Unity brings blessing to us individually and to the church. So if you do it, you will be blessed. But not just that, it will also please the Lord. So as we read, we're going to read and we're going to pray. Um, We'll get into our passage this morning. So Psalm 133, this is the word of the Lord, and it reads, A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we all need to hear this. We all need your help in this because, Father, you know our hearts. You know that we would rather go our own way uh, when we wake up in the morning, uh, when we go about our day. We would rather, uh, Lord, in many cases, follow our own desires, Lord, and know what's yours. Father, we need you and your help to humble ourselves, to set aside and to lay down our uh, priorities, our desires, our needs, Lord, for the sake of the body. Father, thank you for the church, the gift that the church is. Uh, Lord, thank you, uh, Lord, for the blessing that it is to be part of a church like this one. Father, my longing is that all of us here this morning would know and experience the true blessing of unity in the church. Uh, Father, that we would take steps towards pursuing it and that you would be with us in this endeavor. Father, thank you that it pleases you just as you are one. Would you help us to be one? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's start with this, Psalm 133. First thing I want you to note is that this is a Psalm of David. Okay, Psalm of David. Uh, David is the author of the psalm. And if you know anything about the story of David and his history, you know that he is familiar with division, with oppression, with rivalry. Give me, let me give you one example, right? When Saul died, so Saul was the king, David was supposed to be the rightful next king. God had called him to be the king. But when Saul died and David was supposed to be king, half the nation divided itself, rebelled against David, and said, we are going to follow Saul's son instead. He's going to be our king. Okay, so for the first few years of David's kingdom, the land was divided under civil war. Okay, so if anyone knows anything about division and the weight of it is David. And what he says here is, behold, okay, behold, he wants to catch your attention. This is something that's worthy of attention, okay? Behold, look, don't miss this. And what does he say? Okay, here's the key thought of the psalm in our passage. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Okay, that's the key uh, thought for uh, us this morning as we look into it more specifically. Uh, and the rest of the psalm, we'll go on to describe two illustrations, okay? Two illustrations that talk about how good and how pleasant unity is. Okay, but first I want you to see, how does he describe unity? As good and pleasant, two really good adjectives. And we'll see how good and how pleasant here in a second. But first we'll see, okay, how good and pleasant it is when... Okay, stop with the when. Unity, true unity, unity where you're encouraged 
when you're strengthened by your brothers and sisters, it's something that is possible. It's something that can be found. It is such a good thing when it is found. But the thing is, it doesn't always happen, right? In fact, I would say that it is a very rare thing to have unity among brothers and even unity in the church. Okay, just because you joined a church, just because you're a part of a church, that doesn't automatically mean that you are united with the church, that you feel that unity that, God, that David is talking about, that God is talking about as his word. Okay, so unity isn't just something that just magically happens as soon as you join a church. Okay, something that you have to work towards. You have to take steps to do and to achieve. And so that's one of the reasons why this passage is really important this morning. Okay, some of you do not have the unity that David is talking about. You are not currently experiencing it. Again, even if you're a part of a church, that doesn't guarantee, right, that you will experience the blessings of unity. So let me ask you, have you experienced the true blessing, the true joy that comes with dwelling with brothers and sisters in unity? Have you experienced it? My desire is that we would all get to know and to taste the goodness of the fellowship that is available to you in God's church. Okay, whether, and it doesn't really matter to me that much whether you're here or you eventually go somewhere else, I just want you to know the blessing that it is to be able to be dwelling together with brothers and sisters and to pursue wherever God has you going to, pursue unity rightly. Okay, so it is possible. It is the delight when it happens. But what is required for us to have unity? Let's keep going. How good and pleasant it is when brothers. Okay, brothers. First of all, if you want to have unity, you have to be united around something. You have to be united around something. You cannot have unity when there's nothing uniting you to anything else, right? You cannot be united around nothing. And the best type of unity, and I want you to see this, is found among brothers. Those who are united in Christ. Because you cannot, okay, you cannot have Christian unity if you do not have Christians. So we can only, I want you to see this too, you can only have peace with one another in the church and even outside the church through unity. You can only have unity in the church insofar as you have first peace with God. Okay, the greater fellowship that you have around the gospel and the thing of God's word, then the greater unity you'll have. So ask yourself, do you have peace with God? Okay, that is the first thing you need to ask yourself. Before you even begin to think about whether you have peace and unity with your brothers and sisters, do you have peace with God? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Because if you don't have that, okay, you will not have the level of unity that the psalm is talking about. All of your relations will really be up to a surface level because you do not have the most important thing, that thing that God made you for, that fellowship that God made you to be in with him, and with one another. It's not going to be possible until you humble yourself and until you have faith in Christ's work. Okay? It is on what, because of what Christ has done that you can have peace and unity among believers, and that's what you are made for. Okay, and notice, I didn't ask you if you believed in God, right? There's a huge difference between believing in God and submitting your life to Him. So I want to exhort all of you here this morning to consider that. Have you done that? Have you repented of your way of living? And have you embraced Christ as your only hope for salvation? Okay, and if you are a Christian, if you're sitting here and you say, I have done that, that is me. Well, if you are a Christian, well, let me tell you one thing. 
if you're a Christian, you cannot have true unity with the world, right? We're called to love the world, but don't forget, we're also called to be separate from it, okay? And so it is a bad sign when your closest friends are those who are unbelieving, okay? It's a bad sign if you're, close, you're closer to unbelieving friends and family than you are to your church body. Again, because you need to be united around what's most important, that is Christ. Think about it. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that of life and death. Okay, you have more, think about it, you have more in common with a believer in Africa or Asia than you do with a fellow brother, um, sibling, friend, or coworker who's not walking with the Lord. Okay, there is greater unity in the life that we have in Christ. So then how much more unity should you have with the believers who go to your same church? Okay, so you have to make a choice. Okay, choice is yours. What are you going to be united around? Are you going to be united around sports? Are you going to be united around parenting philosophies? Or will it be Christ? Will you be united around Christ? Who will be your closest companions? Who will you choose to walk with you? Because another thing that is required, as we keep going through our passages, is good and pleasant when brothers dwell. Okay? One thing that is required for us to have Christian unity is you have to be willing to dwell together, to spend time with one another. Okay? So it begins, right, in the context of the church. It begins, number one, it just begins by coming to church. Okay, so if you don't make Sunday uh, church, Sunday church worship a priority on Sunday mornings, then don't be surprised if you don't feel uh, close to your church family. Your attendance really, really is a big deal. Okay, your family's attendance is a big deal. You being here on time, ready to worship, is a big deal. For crying out loud, we are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it a priority. I would venture to say that the majority of people who actually make this a priority and who treasure being able to worship Christ together as a church body actually experience the most unity in their church. So this goes beyond, right? This isn't just check off the list. I came to church. I'm good. I've done what I'm required to do, right? It is it's just a heart attitude, right? It is a commitment. You are here for Christ. You're here to worship the Lord, and then you're here for one another. It's a commitment to share your life with your brothers and sisters. It isn't just a come and go. It is a how can I share my life? How can I give my life for my fellow brothers and sisters? Whatever it takes, I want to be there for you. Okay, that is the commitment you make in your heart when you dwell. And so you have to, again, the choice is you have to choose who you will dwell with. The people that you most dwell with, that you spend the most time with, are usually the ones that you will grow united to. So church, men, women, children, I exhort you, choose Christ's church as your dwelling place. Don't choose friends over church. Don't choose family over church. Instead, choose those who are centered around the worship of Jesus to be your closest companions. Now, I know it's hard, right? I know this is hard. I know sometimes things come up, kid gets sick, car breaks down. You know, there's many different things, right, that could happen, many different things that call for our time and our attention. But I just want you to know that it is worth it. Okay, your attendance makes a big deal. and It helps you be united. You will experience the blessing. It is worth it for you to make the effort that it requires. Now, I also know it's hard in a different setting, right? So some of you maybe have been coming to church for quite some time, and it still feels like you're alone. Okay? You still feel like 
No one's really walking the same path that I'm walking. No one really understands what I'm going through. Okay, no one's going through the same things that I am. Everyone's different than me. They don't like the things, same things I do. And, and I get that, right? Um, it, is, it, is a, it is an effort. It is something we have to make effort towards. So it is hard. But I want you to know, this is one of those examples where doing what is right, even when it's hard, will bring so much blessing to you and to your family, to your kids. So I want to exhort you, put yourself out there, okay? Even when it's awkward, even when it doesn't feel right, put yourself out there. And if after that you're still struggling and if you come, you're like, I'm making efforts and it still doesn't feel like I feel like I'm connected. If you're still struggling, let us at least talk to us. Let us at least try to come by and help and see how we can be a help to you. Because church, if you just look around you for one second, okay? Church is made up of a lot of different kinds of people, right? Um, You know, some of you are a little weird, okay? So I'm just going to say that. And then some of you probably think that I'm a little weird, Um, and that's okay. Guess what? In God's church, you are loved even in your quirkiness, okay? We want you to be yourself here. People are going to have different interests, okay? Some of you are going to love going to go and play disc golf and talk about disc golf all the time. And some of you think that is the most ridiculous backyard game you could play, right? Some of you are going to be into essential oils and see the benefit to your family. And some of you think, well, you know, they smell nice. That's about it, okay? We're going to have a lot of differences in church, and that's good, and that's okay, okay? Some of you need to be around people all the time. You're like, I want to be with people. I want to be with people. I want to be with people. I just cannot get enough people. And some of you are going to be like, oh, I just hung out with someone. Uh, I need like two days to recover, okay? Um, we have differences in the church, and God made us different for a reason. That's why there's so much beauty in unity, right? Even in our differences. It would be completely pointless to pursue unity if we were all exactly the same, okay? That wouldn't even be unity. It's, a, it's actually in our humility, okay? When we say, I'm going to be humble, do maybe something that I, you know, maybe normally wouldn't do, okay? Be humble, be willing to give of ourselves, and even put ourselves in positions out there to do something that maybe we don't enjoy that much or maybe, you know, something we've never tried before for the sake of our brothers and sisters, okay? Give your life for the sake of the worship of God and for the sake of your brothers and sisters because where unity thrives, that is a delight to the Lord, okay? Scripture does not call us to uniformity. We do not all have to have the same thoughts on every topic, okay? That would be uniformity. That is not what God is calling us. So he's calling us to unity, Okay, so pursue unity. If you feel different, if you think differently about something with somebody, to talk to them about it. Try to come up with something, okay? But pursue unity. Okay, pursue unity, which might involve you giving up your rights. So in your pursuit of unity, are you willing, okay, for the worship of God, okay, for the sake of us coming together, are you willing to lay aside your preferences for the sake of the body? Again, not everyone's going to like the things that you do. Okay? Not everyone's going to be like you. And guess what? Not everyone's going to agree with you on every topic. Okay? And that's fine. Again, in order to have unity, we have to be united around something concrete. Okay? So you won't have unity around everything, but you do have to have unity around some things. Okay? So let me propose to you, what is that unity that we should be um, united around? Let me propose to you that that thing ought to be our faithfulness to God's word. Okay? Which means... There's going to be some areas where if, you do not, if we do not have agreement, you will not have unity. Okay, so let me give you some examples. We will not have unity 
with those who deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? So if you deny the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three and, and one, then we're not going to have unity together. Why? Because that is an attack on who God is. Okay? We are not serving the same God in that case. Okay? We're also, give me another example. We will not have unity with those who murder innocent children in the womb. Right? Because that is murder. That is against God's word. That is not pleasing to God. We will not have unity with those who have an unbiblical view of sexuality or those who want to flatten the differences, the wonderful difference that God made between men and women. Okay? Because those are things that we're trying to be faithful to how God made us in God's word. So instead, I want you to think of this. I want you to surround yourself with people who are trying to be faithful to God's word and not with those who make excuses for what the Bible says. Okay? I want you to appreciate, as you do that, appreciate then Okay, we're going to come united in this and the most important things and then appreciate the differences in the church, treasure, unity over uniformity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell next up in unity, right? So unity is what we were talking about this morning. Um, well, what is it? What is unity? In this passage and throughout Scripture, uh, the word for unity is used to describe a sense of being together, okay? You're coming together. Um, it is a commitment to be for one another. So the word uh, used for unity here uh, is found throughout the Old Testament, often when Israel is going into battle, okay? So when Israel is going to battle, they're often going to fight an enemy that is bigger and stronger than, them, than they are, and they come together as one to fight the enemy, okay? So that is that unity. Um, and think, that's a great, and that is a great illustration, right? Because... Um, I want you to think about our church and our time that we're in. We are, in many ways, we are under war, okay? We are at war. The world wants to destroy our witness, right, and our ability to worship and live as Christians under God's rule, okay? There's a lot of things opposing you and opposing your witness as a Christian. So when you understand, right, that in many ways we are at war, unity becomes so much more important. It isn't just something that we pursue because we want to. It is because we need one another, Okay? When you're in war, you're not going to care that much about the style of worship, right? What style, what kind of instruments we use. You're not going to care that much about how we dip our bread, right, during communion. And it's not like I'm saying those things don't matter, right? I'm, those things have great importance. But are we going to forsake the fellowship of the brothers over those issues? In a war where you need to stand with fellow soldiers, you would not forsake the fellowship for those issues. Now, this word of unity is for another illustration to think, how do we think about unity? It's also used for the relationship that David and Jonathan had together, right? So if you know the story, uh, you know that they were together as one. The Bible tells us that the soul of Jonathan, the soul, okay, the very being of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and he loved him as his own soul. They were of one heart and of one purpose. So unity, that's what it is. Do you have it? Okay, think about it. Do you have unity? Because if you don't, you should desire it. And if you do, how can you pursue more unity within the church? And you should desire it, not just because God commands it, right? Uh, which in itself is all that we need. Okay, God just commands unity, we should pursue it. But in God's kindness, you should also do it because those who pursue it will be blessed. Okay, it's a delight to have it. It is good and pleasant. It will bring joy and peace to your soul. So how good is it? Okay, let's move to verse 2 and 3. The two illustrations that David gives. How good and pleasant is unity? Well, David says, let me illustrate it for you. Let me tell you just how good and how great 
how worthy of pursuit unity is as you see these two illustrations. So first, verse 2, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, at first glance, you're like, what? Right? This illustration does not seem good or pleasant at all. Right? I don't want oil on my head running down my beard onto my clothes. Um, this does not really strike us as a good thing, okay? But let's look at it a little closer. Um, this illustration is no doubt David recalling an episode in Israel's history. Um, actually, turn there with me. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 30. So Exodus 30, verses 22 to 33. I'm going to read it, but you, one, you're able to follow along. So David, no doubt, is thinking of this moment in Israel's history. Exodus 30, verses 22 to 33. And it reads, The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of kasha, kasha, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil, And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony. And the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Okay, so this episode is first time when Aaron and the priests are being anointed for the service of God. So what is this oil that David is referring to, the saying on the head of Aaron, running down his beard? What is this oil? Well, it is the most precious of oils, right? It was made directly from God's instructions. Okay, this illustration brings back, okay, an Israelite who's reading this goes back in, in time and thinks of one of the most important moments in Israel's young history as they were developing as a nation, as God was walking with them. It would have been a sight, a pleasant sight to everyone who was there. It would be the most wonderful of fragrances. A moment that was not just pleasant, but also accomplished so much, right? God himself was setting aside priests, those who could come before God on behalf of the people. So the oil in itself, it was wonderful, but it wasn't just wonderful, it was also fruitful, right? It accomplished something. It made the priests of God holy, set apart, pure, so it was in this way that Aaron and the priests chosen by God themselves were made ready for the work that God had before them. So this overflowing oil is a pleasant and fruitful sight that David is recalling to help you give a picture of just how good and pleasant unity is. Okay, and then he reinforces that. Verse 3, uh, the following illustration, verse 3, if I go to the right psalm. Verse 3 reads, It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. And actually, let's stop right there. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. So what's David referring to here, right? If you're like me and you have not brushed up on your ancient Israel um, geography, 
uh, kind of might go by your wayside. Uh, but there is more. Okay, there's more to this. I'm sure there's more to this illustration that I even fully understand, right? I just want to give you a quick picture um, of unity and the beauty of it. So we do know, okay, what, would, what do we know? We do know that both of, these, both of these places, Mount Hermon and Mount Zion, are some of the most important places in, significant, in Israel's history, okay? They have great significance, uh, both physically as like the presence and also spiritually, as we'll see here in a second. We also see and we know uh, that both produce much fertile land, okay? Um, Mount Hermon is known for its abundance of water, abundance of fruitful land. And what causes this abundance? Okay, it's the same for Mount Zion. They're both fruitful lands. And what causes this abundance? It is the dew. Okay, it's the same. Okay, Mount Zion is the same. The dew of Mount Zion brings forth fruit. So how good and pleasant is unity among brothers? As good and pleasing as the dew that showers the morning grass on two of the most significant landmarks for the people of Israel. So in other words, just to describe unity is a most wonderful thing. And David uses two great illustrations, okay? Two of the most significant episodes of landmarks in Israel to show the marvelous beauty of unity. So it is worthy, church. It is worthy of our pursuit together. It is worthy of your pursuit individually. And what's interesting, too, is that both places, right, also have spiritual significance. Let's look at Mount Zion, okay? So the end of verse 3 says, For there, he's referring to the mountains of Zion, the Mount Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Okay, so what is Mount Zion? Okay, it is a mountain in Israel, but it's also, throughout Scripture, Zion is referred to as God's kingdom. Okay, Zion is God's kingdom, the place where God rules with his people. So what David is saying is that there, in Mount Zion, there, in God's kingdom, where the chosen people of God are, where they dwell... That is where the blessing comes from, the place of God. That is where true blessing is found. And what is the blessing, okay? In the verse 33, the blessing, life forevermore. Okay, I want you to see where unity is found, where unity is achieved, life will be found. You can be united around many things, okay? You can pretend to be united around things that don't matter, things, so many things that you could give your life to. But only one thing has eternal significance. Only one thing truly matters, and that is unity around God's word. Okay, we see that unity, okay, this is describing for us that unity here on earth in the church, when you dwell with brothers and sisters in unity, is just a taste. It's just a little taste of how pleasant it's going to be in heaven for us. In heaven where everything will be made clear. We're going to have true and satisfying fellowship where there will be no sin keeping us from each other. Okay, unity in the church is just a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Have you experienced that taste? Is that a taste that you look for, okay? Have you experienced that blessing in the life of the church that makes you long for more and just makes you long for, Jesus, come back. I want to dwell with you in heaven. This is great, but there's more, and I know there's more, and I want that. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Where unity is found, life will be found. So hear God's word. Those who seek, seek to live in peace and harmony will receive blessing from the Lord. On the other hand, those who live in sin will bring disunity, right? If you're contentious, you will not bless the church. If you have bitterness in your heart, if you judge others harshly, okay, if you're envious, if you're proud, even if you're just kind of aloof, kind of just like, oh, you know, nothing matters out there, unaware completely of the dangers around you, 
if you lack love for God and his bride, all of these things, okay, all of these things will separate us from God and it will separate us from one another. So that's why it's so important that as you pursue Unity Church this year, that you pursue holiness. Pursue being a holy man, woman of God. Put off sin. Repent. And we're needed. Ask for forgiveness. Well, you may say, well, unity is so hard in the church because people sin against me all the time. Right? When someone sins against you, try to be patient. Okay? Try to show exercise patience. I, sometimes, obviously, it'll depend on what happens, but Show grace where appropriate. We're needed, okay, where sin is grievous enough that we need to confront it. Confront it, okay? Be firm. Be gentle, but be firm when needed, okay? Trust in God's word in the uh, process that God has for um, restoring a brother when they're sinning, okay? Don't be surprised, though, when others sin against you in the church. It is going to happen. We are a bunch of sinners who sin all the time, okay? So don't be surprised, and don't just leave the church the first time someone sins against you, okay? Try to seek for reconciliation and peace. And you yourself, believe it or not, you are going to sin against others. And sometimes you don't even know it. Okay? Sometimes you're just so unaware of your sin that you're going to hurt somebody else and not even realize it. Okay? So don't be surprised. But instead, trust in the Holy Spirit. Trust in the ability and what God's Word says about how to bring about true reconciliation. Just like we've been, we've been able to be reconciled with the Father in our sin and our rebellion... We can have reconciliation with our brothers and sisters if we pursue it, pursue it rightly. So I hope now, okay, after all we've read, I hope you really are convinced that this is something that we should prioritize. Unity is a worthy pursuit. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to achieve it? Well, I'm actually not going to say too much on this uh, just yet. I actually think that as we go through uh, this year, we're going to be studying more uh, about what this looks like, okay? I just want to give you a quick introduction. I want to give you a taste. I want to give you, I, I want to grow your zeal and your desire for wanting to have that unity, okay? But um, let me say just, just a couple of things that I think are important to go along uh, with what we talked about in the passage, okay? So two things, the two steps that you can do even now, okay? And there's a lot more that you can do, but two steps that you can do now is one, make every effort to be together. Okay, make every effort to be together. Bring your family to church as much as you can. Make that a Sunday, just that, that is what you do as a church, as a, as a family. Prioritize, okay, time with your church. Okay, students, right, students, there's going to be so much temptation for you to prioritize your friends, your college ministries, your things, and not the church. But I want to exhort you, prioritize the church. That's where true blessing is going to be found. Okay, you can be deceived and think that you have unity when everyone around you is the same and going through the same thing. But when you have true unity with people who are completely different than you, who are like 40, 50 years older than you, that's when you know that you're pursuing unity, okay? And that is just such a blessing. Know, okay, all of you, church, know that your time and your presence really makes a difference, okay? We love your presence. We love you being around us. And I want you to try to show affection for one another, right? Don't just come and kind of just sit in the back and like, well, I'm here, but I'm not really here. Try to come alongside your, alongside your brothers and sisters. Show, okay? Show affection for one another. You love each other, right? Your brothers and sisters, then act like it. And secondly, try to be vulnerable, right? Try to be vulnerable. The reason why some of you like to keep the church at a distance, right, is because you're afraid to be known. Right? It's, it is scary in our sin to be known. Uh, you're, gonna, you're afraid that your sins will be exposed in the light, but let me just ask you, is it really that great living in darkness? 
Is it really worth it? I want you to be willing to trust God and be open, okay? Just be open. We know you sin. It's not a surprise to us, okay? Let us, let the church come and help you just like it's helped me and it's helped so many of us. Okay, be willing to trust God and be open and then see the blessing of the greater unity that you'll experience around it. So what have you done? Okay, think about it for yourself. For the last few months, what have you done to foster unity in the church? What steps have you taken? And then what steps can you take from now on? Okay, what steps can you take from now on? Okay, maybe a next step for some of you. Okay, for some of you, the next step really just means I'm going to humble myself. Okay, I've heard that Christ has died for my sins. So for you, it means humbling yourself before Jesus and taking the step to stop living for yourself and instead trusting in him as your king. Okay, because you cannot be united if you're not first a believer because you do not have peace with God. So for some of you, that is the next step. Okay, for some of you, it means actually joining, becoming a part of the body, joining the church. It means committing to church. Okay, for some of you, you're committed to the church, you're a member of our church. Um, it actually means being present, okay, being there when you're here. Okay? You know those people who are like physically, like, like, you know, people will have you have people over, they're there, but their mind is completely elsewhere. Try to be physically, not just physically, but like actually be here with your church body, okay? Actually dwell together. Okay, don't make other things excuses or other things a priority. Um, and this means, right, this, means, this is hard. This is going to mean a lot of time saying no to things that even are good, but not as good as God and his worship, okay? It means saying no to family. means saying no to sports. And why is because you're committed to growing. And some of you, okay, some of you means you, just, you need to just grow in love, okay? You need to grow in love and affection for one another. For some of you, it means growing in hospitality, Okay, and I'm so encouraged by a lot of you who are taking steps in that and just having people over in your home, it is just a delight. And I encourage a lot of you to do that, okay? If you can't have someone over, just ask somebody, hey, do you want to go grab lunch at a restaurant? Do you want to go and take a walk with our kids at some park? Okay, have them over in your home. Do whatever it takes to be with your church body. Especially, okay, when you think about this, not just with those who think like you, who like everything that you like. Pursue unity, pursue fellowship with those who are completely different than you, Okay? There's so much beauty and delight when brothers come together with different giftings, with different perspectives, with different backgrounds, and they come together, right? Laying down their perspectives and their rights, they come together to see God glorified in truth. And lastly, I'll just say this. Most importantly, just pray. Okay? Pray. Pray for your heart. Pray for our church that we would be one as he is one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is just such an encouragement from your word that as we have faith and we walk, Lord, in unity, that you will bless that. Father, for those of us who have not experienced it, we're not experiencing that unity at this moment, Father, would you, um, would you help us, Lord? Would you give us insight and wisdom to know uh, maybe what steps we need to take at this moment to uh, be pleasing to you in that? Would you help us to be humble? Lord, would you help us not to hold any opinion on, Lord, things that are lesser, Lord, that we would not hold things like uh, health decisions and parenting and, Lord, things that just we are going to have so many opinions in the church. Would we not hold those over the importance and the unity that is required to be in the church, Father? May we delight in coming to worship you so much, Father, that we would say, I will lay down my rights and I will come and love my church family. 
So Father, may this be a thing that grows in us this year. Would you foster that in our hearts? And Father, would you uh, help us, Lord, because we cannot do this apart from you. So we just pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.